So I, you probably know that in during the month of August, each Sunday we're work, talking about um, how to work with difficult emotions, and it's actually going to go on to the first Sunday in September. So it'll be uh, a whole series on this. And today I'm talking about grief and loss. How do we work with grief and loss? And you know, it's always helpful and. I think especially right now, there's so much grief, there's so much loss, um, there's so much sorrow, and it's really challenging or difficult or we're unsure of how to work with it, you know, and I think I have learned everything I know about dealing with grief, about being present with grief and sadness and sorrow and loss through this practice, through my practice, and through the teachings, not just grief and sorrow, but most emotions. I was fairly clueless most of my life on how to deal with emotions and found a whole bunch of other ways uh, of, not to, of, of not dealing with them. And so it's really, really helpful. And so right now we're dealing both at the macro level with grief, especially the last couple of years. I mean, grief, there's always grief um, at, a, at a larger level beyond our personal lives. Things, you know, there's so much violence in, in, in the world. There's so much tragedy. And then the, the pandemic was a tremendous, offered a tremendous amount of loss. So much was going on. So many lost lives, so much grief, so much loss. Um, including the normalcy, uh, quote unquote, of our, of our lives before, even, even looking at this, this, um, this Sangha, it's totally changed in the last couple of years and how to deal with the emotions that come up with that. It's really challenging. And so there's the macro level and then there's the micro level of the losses we're dealing with in our own lives and our own grief and sadness and sorrow from any number of reasons. And, you know, often when we talk about grief, we think about grief from um, a death of a loved one or some kind of death. And, uh, but there's all kinds of grief and loss. There's the loss of a relationship. There's a loss of a job. There's a loss of normalcy. There's a loss of, of um, anything. Anything can be a loss, uh, depending on our relationship to it. And so how do we deal, how do we hold all those emotions? Um, and if you look at the early texts, the, the suttas, the Pali Canon, the Buddha talks about um, uh, uh, grief and, and loss, specifically in the First Noble Truth, um, the Noble Truth of Suffering. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, illness is suffering, death is suffering, union, being, being coupled with what is displeasing is suffering, separation from what is pleasing is suffering, not getting what we want is suffering, you know? There's, there's so much suffering. It's basically the human condition. And, and that, that um, First Noble Truth translates into the five remembrances, we are of the nature to grow old, get sick, and die. Everything we have will be taken from us. All we have are our actions. And so this loss is right there in, in the first noble truth. 
it's right there in the five remembrances that we're uh, invited to reflect on. So it's, it's acknowledged as part of life. There is this loss. But also in the early canon, in, especially in um, some conversations between Ananda and Sariputta about grief and loss, and Ananda's there, both the um, attendants and um, to the Buddha, um, Ananda is not enlightened, Sariputta is, and talking about what to do, you know, what's, what might happen when the Buddha dies. Um, and Sariputta says, you should not, or and, and a lot of the suttas say, do not grieve, nor should you lament, because what good is gained? Even, um, even if we lose the teacher, the Buddha, you know, there would arise in me no sorrow, no lamentation, no pain or distress or despair. Still, I would have thought, what a great being of great might, of great prowess has disappeared. So instead of being saddened, there would be this, this um, gratitude for the greatness, this experience that we had with this wonderful teacher. And um, that's a challenging concept. That's a challenging idea. And it can sometimes morph into this idea of spiritual bypass. I have seen this a lot of times where people take these teachings like this teaching of no lamentation, you know, it's all part of life. It's like this sh sh shoulder shrugging, oh well, you know, as an intellectual way to avoid feeling. You know, I, I see that time and time again with the, with the teaching around impermanence. Oh, well, everything ends, which, you know, this is impermanence, this grief, loss, sorrow. It's, it's all around the idea of impermanence. And, you know, at some point, we will get to a place in, um, at, I mean, that's the intention. At some point, if I become enlightened... It would be nice. I'm not there yet, so I don't know what this feels like. We will be at that place of, of non-attachment to anything, what's called the deathless, where we can experience the full picture, recognizing there is loss without any clinging. But I don't think any of us are there yet. I don't think any of us are there yet. So instead of being demoralized by these old teachings, I want to couple it with the other ideas around um, what happened, there's a, what happened back in the time of the Buddha. Some of you are familiar with the poems of the early Buddhist nuns, and there is one poem, this is a, this, I'm, t I'm taking this one from the book, The First Free Women, which is a reimagining of the poems, which are part of the Pali Canon. And so these are, um, you know, just as old as, as much of the, the, uh, the uh, discourses of the Buddha. And this is a, this is a poem from a nun, uh, Vasetti, and it says, When a child dies, everyone grieves, but a mother's grief is different. No more real or more important, just different. I can talk about it like this now. Back then, I just wandered from place to place. I don't know if I ate. I don't know if I slept. 
From the bottom of that darkness, I heard a voice. It was just a whisper. So I leaned towards it and became a bucket, pulled slowly up from the bottom of a well. In the same way, I called out to my grief and drew it towards me. I held my grief and gently rocked it. Shh, I said, there, 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 there. People sometimes ask, wasn't it painful? Weren't you afraid? Yes, is pain. yes, it was painful. So is giving birth. Oh, my heart, you mustn't fear the pain. So at the same time as the Buddha was, um, and the teachings were to no lamentations, no despair, there's also the acknowledgement of what grief is like the pain, the fear, the, the deep hurt, the longing. As she said, she wandered from place to place, which is very similar to the, the one sutta, um, Kisagatami, very famous, the, the woman whose child died, and she went everywhere asking people for medicine to help um, cure her, her dead child, bring it back to life, and everyone took pity on her and said, we can't, it's impossible. And she eventually found the Buddha who said, sure, I can help you, but bring me a mustard seed from the house in the village that has never experienced death. And she went from house to house to house to house, of course, and she said, do you have a mustard seed? And they said, yes. And she said, do you, have you ever experienced death? And they said, no. And she eventually realized that this is part of the human condition. And instead of fighting against it, you know, because this is also one of the basic teachings of the Buddha. Instead of fighting against it, instead of whatever mechanisms we use to not feel or to change what's happening, the loss, the sadness, the grief, the invitation instead is to recognize this is part of what life is all about. There is loss. The first noble truth, there is separation from things we love. This is part of it. How do we hold it? How do we work with it? You know, we don't fight it. We accept it, recognizing it. And then there's this, um, I'm also heartened by some of the later, the Mahayana teachings, which I think this falls into. A lot of things um, fall into this. The idea of two truths of absolute versus relative. There's the absolute awareness of awakening that, that Sariputta is talking about. No lamentations, just great gratitude for this wonderful teacher because there, he's no longer attached to anything. But we're not there. We're not arhats yet. We're not enlightened. I'm not. I shouldn't speak for you, but I'm guessing you're probably not yet. And that these emotions do um, impact you as they impact me. So instead, um, recognizing there's the relative experience of our day-to-day -day lives where we go through life and, and things happen and we feel what's going on. I mean, lately I've been extremely um, sensitive. I may have talked about this the last time. I think I talked about this the last time I was at, um, in Rancho Mirage at the church a couple of Sundays ago, or a few Sundays ago that I've just kind of been so sensitive. I was hiking and a deer ran across the trail in front of me. And I'm, in, I'm like in the, in the foothills of Los Angeles. I'm not anywhere far away and just ran across. And I started just crying, just not really a lot of sobbing, but just welled up 
with emotion, allowing that to be there, allowing those experiences to be present are um, what this practice is inviting us to do. And for me, has enabled me to connect with, to get in touch with. There's a, um, there's a wonderful teacher, Frank Ostaseski, who's worked with death and dying, and he talks about grief. And he says, we may think of grief as a solid thing that will eclipse our life or a black hole that we will fall into and never escape. Our tendency for self-protection leads us to store the conflicting emotions of grief in some dark, cramped corner of the mind or body. But avoidance or resistance to grief only intensifies the pain. It's like resistance to anything intensifies it. Like, I... um was at the grocery store this morning and I was putting the groceries in the trunk of my car and I had lifted the trunk, but apparently I hadn't lifted it enough. And I went like this and slammed my head into the corner of the trunk. That smart, yeah, I have a nice little lump. That smarts. And in the olden days, before I was really into practice, it could have got into that place of go away, excuse me, cat attack sorry um gotten into that place of of you dummy what would you do that for and or the contraction it always the contraction around the pain fight it fight it fight it but that intensifies it instead it was like okay be with oh feel the sensations throughout the body feel the throbbing okay just need to be still for a few moments okay and feel it and be with it without any of those extra, you know, the second arrow and the third arrow and the fourth arrow of why did this happen and why did I do that? And because I'm very, I have been in my life prone to self-criticism, self-judgment. If it's uncomfortable, obviously I did something wrong. If I were only better, it wouldn't hurt, which is false. It is what it is, what it is. And so when we avoid anything, feeling pain in our bodies, feeling emotions, there's a tremendous, it intensifies it. So the invitation is to be with the grief, be with the loss, be with the sorrow. How do we touch into that? And each of us are um, at very different places with this. And so much of this, because we're conditioned beings, so much of this how our relation, our relationship to grief is how we learn to deal with it growing up, either in our family of origin and, or in the, in the, in the people we um, um, hung out with or, or were influenced by. And my, I'll give you my example, I wasn't taught anything. I, I, was, I was in a chaplaincy training years ago, and the teacher, was, one of the presenters, was asking us, how did you learn to deal with loss as growing up? And I, a lot of it was get over it, not necessarily uh, out loud, but implied. Uh, my father died when I was five. 
he had a stroke and he was taken to the hospital. And um, I think it was just a few days later, my mom was made dinner for me and my brother, who's like 11 years older than I was. And, and he, she said, your dad's dead or died or whatever she said, and he's not coming home anymore. And that was it. And then we had dinner. And that was it. Um, as a five-year-old, I had no idea about emotions or how to deal with them or... And it, and it became intellectual, like if I was in class and it's like, okay, today we're making Father's Day cards. And I'd go up to the teacher and I'd say, I don't have a father. And she's like, okay, you do this. It was, it was up here. It, I didn't know it was not connected to my experience. There was no experience around that. Um, and that's how I dealt with most things. Try to think my way out of having to feel. That I was not really, um, I, I doubt if my mom knew how to deal with stuff looking back I know she didn't know how to deal with stuff so I didn't learn how to deal with anything and I just deal, dealt with it the best I could sex and drugs and rock and roll and candy bars and potato chips and whatever there was to have me not feel and by the time I began formal practice I was kind of a mess um, I'd felt I, I, I'd hit a, a brick wall one more time in my life it was just really you know, a lot of unease, a lot of dissatisfaction and with the world I was living in with, without a clue on how to move forward. I knew something wasn't right, but I was clueless. I had tried meditation over the years, but nothing stuck. I don't think I sat with a, f a teacher formally, although I tried different classes and I read some books. I, I loved Pema Chodron. I loved her stuff. It just resonated so much to me with me. But when I finally found a teacher, or I found a class who was teaching mindfulness, vipassana, and I first began to sit, and I began to see that I didn't have to follow the mind all the time, but instead I could slow down and turn towards what was inside. The first stuff that came up, I'm talking like 40, 45 years later, was about my father's death. Was this stuff that had been hanging out my whole life that I didn't know anything about. There was a, a, a huge wall between me and the grief. Because my world turned upside down. Everything shifted. Everything changed. And I was just like, what do I do? I don't know. I don't even know to ask these questions because I'm five years old. So the practice of sitting with what is present and making the effort to let go of the thinking that takes me away from the feeling. How do I feel? How do I sit still and be with this? You know, so often the fear of it, the fear of feeling is greater than the actual feeling, the actual experience of what is happening um, the grief that was there the sadness the loss the mourning because when there's grief there's often mourning for what has been lost and we have to honor that there's a, a a couple of books by a man named William Bridges one is called transitions and the other is called the way of transition and he talks about how everything ends. It's not Buddhist, but it's sure it's got that, you know, speaks very much to 
the Buddhist ideals that or ideas that everything ends. But we are all about getting on to the next thing, getting over it, moving forward, getting what's next, what's next, what's next, that we ignore the transition, what has to happen. You know, and and at a macro level, we're in transition. We're trying to, okay, it's normal again. It's normal again. It's normal again. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, we're still on that. That who knows where we are, but um, we're not there because there's no there. You know, and with so many things, it's like, let me honor what has happened. Let me honor the mourning. There's, um, and the grief. There's a, one of the stories he tells in the book Transitions is about a woman, um, a, a couple who were, having a, uh, who were having a baby and very happy about it, very, very wanted this, planned it, were very excited. And the child was born, everything was great, but she fell into this, um, I don't know if it was a depression, but what it was. And what in, in working with him, with Bridges, she realized that she had not mourned the ending of her prior life even though they were really looking forward to the new life, there was a total disregard for the ending of her entire life up until that point. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. So how do we honor that? Jack Kornfield, um, in his book, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace, talks about grief And he says, grief is one of the heart's natural responses to loss. It's a natural response. When we grieve, we allow ourselves to feel the truth of our pain, the measure of betrayal or tragedy in our life. By our willingness to mourn, we slowly acknowledge, integrate, and accept the truth of our losses. Sometimes the best way to let go is to grieve, you know? It's, and it takes courage. It really takes courage. It's about, um, you know, I talk about living with the undefended heart, and it's about, you know, the, that moving towards equanimity, being present with whatever is here, being present with grief, being present with joy. And one of my favorite, favorite, favorite um, definitions of that is a deep intimacy with our experience without preference. So the invitation is to an intimacy with grief without preference. And it takes courage because the mind is full of these ideas of what it's going to be like. I think it was Ostaseski who said, we're afraid we're going to fall into this black hole and we'll never get out of it. But my experience with it has been, and I remember working with a teacher a number of years ago where there was some emotion that was, there was some experience in my body. I think it was this, uh, 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 something in my gut or my chest. That's where a lot of my emotions show up in my chest or my belly. And, and she was saying, what does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, does it have a texture, a color, etc.? You know, getting out of the mind and really turning towards the experience of the body. And I kept, and she said, what is, what do you think it is? And, and whatever emotion it was, let me say it was grief. I don't remember the specific 
experience, uh, example of that moment. So we'll say it was grief, and it's like, oh, grief. And then the story kicks in about, and I, but I'm feeling, and this, or whatever, and this is why, you know, the, the talking, trying to talk my way out of the feeling. And she kept saying, no preference, come back, no preference, be with. That's the part that takes courage. And that's the part that takes time. We don't get this overnight. We have to put our toe in the water and then come back. With my, with my working with grief and working with other things, and not just with the death of my father, but so many other things in my life that I didn't know how to deal with that would come up from time to time, a lot of times on retreat, because when you're on a retreat, you have that long, that long period to really... Um, drop in uh, the other thing that comes along with this willingness to be present for our deepest experience is that it's held with kindness it's held with compassion it's held with gentleness that's so important and this also comes from the early texts where the Buddha said we Rest with a mind imbued with loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity. So we can hold whatever is there. But we have to be willing to let go of the story. We have to be willing to be fully present with whatever the experience is. Um, Bell Hooks has such uh, so many beautiful things that she says. Um, and she says when, what is it? To be loving, talking about being loving. To be loving, open, not armored, living with an undefended heart. To be loving is to be open to grief, to be touched by sorrow. Even sorrow, that's unending. We have to just be willing to be with what is. I was talking about this in my class um, yesterday evening, and there's a woman in that class who's just experienced the loss of a partner. And she talked about it. She shared that, um, you know, it comes, and then it goes, and then it comes, and it goes, and that's been my experience with grief. It comes, and it goes, but we're present for it when it's there. So often, um, it seems that there's a time limit on our grief, and I remember this when my, um, my brother died and talking to my sister-in-law. She would get the sense that when people would ask her how she was doing, this is maybe six months after he died, they'd be, you know, kind of not wanting to hear that it was still difficult because they didn't want to deal with how she was feeling, you know. And so we run the, you know, we have these kinds of things that we, these relationships that we um, maneuver. And so just to recognize that, we what if it shows up it shows up like Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the seeds of consciousness these 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 emotions are planted and when the um, the conditions are right they blossom they bloom and maybe there's a blossoming of grief maybe there's a blossoming of joy and happiness but 
what we don't do is say, no, I'm not going to feel you. I don't want to feel you. I'm going to intellectualize my way out of this, as I like to do or have a tendency to do. So it's really important to recognize that, as always, it's to be with. How can we be with the grief, the sadness, the loss? You know, right now, my husband, I mentioned he was in the hospital and he just got out today, and he's had a year, um, a pretty crappy year. He's had one health thing after another, and he had surgery a couple of weeks ago, and that's kind of like the last part of this year-long thing. But um, he's also um, kind of afraid because he's worried about his diminished capacity to do different things. And our life that existed a year ago is very different. You know, things we used to do, we can't do anymore because of his limited abilities or because he's got surgery or chemo or something to going on. And it's like, okay, how do we hold that? There's a lot of grief around that. There's a lot of mourning around that. And to recognize it, it actually hangs out. It's not, you know, loud and screaming. It's just there. And to acknowledge that it's there. I always say I have a couch kind of off my left shoulder and I just invite the emotions to have a seat and we just go about our business. You know, hi, you're there. And so that, that's, it's, it can be part of life. It doesn't have to be a, a, you know, a final thing. It can be an ongoing thing. Just little, you know, like I said, there's the macro level and then there's the micro level. And to be open to it and to acknowledge it and realize it's part of the human condition. You know, I spent a lot of my life running from it and it finally caught up with me and I'm grateful um, I found this practice as well. So it's like, oh, yeah, the human condition. Hello. Happy to meet you. So thank you, my friends, for your, uh, your, your generous attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.